Welcome to Cybercast, decoding today's cyber issues. I'm Alexander Bolova, production lead at GovCIO Media and Research, and today we're looking back at the top cyber news of 2023. With me to unpack what has been a significant year for everything cyber is managing editor Ross John Fortune and staff writer researchers Jayla Whitfield and Jordan McDonald. Hi, everyone. Hello. Hi. Hey. Before we jump into the episode proper, Jordan, this is your very first podcast here at GovCIO Media and Research. You want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, I came over from Morning Brew, where I was a uh, tech reporter. Um, prior to that, I was at CNBC covering uh, business news. So excited to be at GovCIO covering federal IT and all things that are moving and shaking in the realm. All right. Well, we're excited to have you on the team. So 2023 was a significant year for, well, basically everything cyber strategies, memos, priorities. It feels like not a day went by without a federal agency announcing how they plan to tackle some area of cybersecurity in this AI era. It's a lot to keep up with, so today we're going to highlight some of the most important cyber events and updates from 2023. To start, let's take a look at the National Cyber Strategy, which was announced back in March. Ross, what's in this strategy and what does it mean? Well, from the cyber strategy perspective, this was the year. As you said, the document was released in March, in early March, and a lot of the conversations that agencies had a lot of conversations that we had on Cybercast this past year, that was in the background. It colored so much. It's not the first one. The strategy itself is, is the latest in a series dating all the way back to September 11th, uh, the aftermath of September 11th attacks, when cyber threats were fairly new. Cybersecurity was a somewhat nascent concept at the time, but they've built off one another, they've bounced off one another, and they've different administrations have had different priorities. Now, the Biden one that was uh, released in March, nine months ago, I guess now, it, ha- it focuses on two main points. The first is rebalancing the responsibility of, in the words of the strategy, defending cyberspace. And the second is realigning incentives to favor long-term investments. Now, in the first case, this is something that's almost philosophical, and and I would, uh, to put on my analyst hat, say welcome. I would say it's a welcome uh, philosophical shift, which is we can't really entirely rely on each individual person to keep abreast of their uh, cybersecurity. I know we've all been in those trainings and obviously it is on us to not fall for the phishing emails, but as threats become more sophisticated, larger scale, they manifest in different ways. The organizations, the broader organizations with the expertise, the economies of scale, and the power to defend systems and networks, the impetus really falls on them within this cyber strategy. And that includes government, that includes large tech organizations and stuff like that. The second point is more about investments and thinking strategically instead of the sort of band-aid issue that a lot of problems are solved with on government, and I would argue, again, to put my analyst hat on, uh, fairly ineffectively. So, you know, they want the administration wants to strike this balance between fixing the thing that's right in front of us quickly and make sure it's 
fixed and then aligning cybersecurity government-wise for the long term so that it's better set up uh, going forward. Now, on the cybercast side of things, well, I shouldn't even say the cybercast side of things. On the GovCIO media and research side of things, the timing really worked out for us. Uh, the strategy was released on March 2nd, which was also the day of our first in-person event of the year, which just happened to be called Cyberscape, which just happened to be a cybersecurity event. And in fact, the closing fireside chat of the event featured Anjana Rajan, who's the Assistant National Cyber Director for Technology Security in the Biden administration at the White House. And my predecessor, Kate, uh, sat down with her to talk about the strategy and just the cybersecurity priorities in general. And Anjana was really insightful on particularly that first point, this idea that people aren't going to voluntarily focus on cybersecurity in their everyday lives. It's fairly wishful thinking to think that, that people are going to do that. Like I said, yes, the don't click on phishing emails and, and those kinds of things. But we need to recognize, she said, that we have to create a larger environment to create this ecosystem where things are safe before they get to uh, the consumer. And the strategy really does reflect that. So when agencies were putting together their responses since in the Cybercast episodes that we've uh, recorded with various IT leaders in agencies from the Defense Department to Homeland Security to EPA, that's in the background of all of it, is that this environment needs to be at that level before it gets to the people that can make the mistakes. You keep those mistakes away higher and higher and higher. And so that, not to sound too overarching, but that very much was the theme that I saw this year uh, from March until now in, in so many of the conversations that we had on Cybercast and conversations that are going on in C-suite, OCIOs and IT shops throughout agencies. Yeah, it really was a fortuitous coincidence about the cyber strategy being announced at the same time as our Cyberscape event. And I definitely encourage listeners to go back and look at our coverage of that, as well as our Cybercast bonus episode, where we did excerpt our conversation with Anjana Rajan talking about this very topic. But with this strategy, you know, you're talking a lot about from a philosophical lens, but obviously, you know, you can't just have a philosophy and expect that to be policy. So we had a July memo come out that outlined key areas that federal agencies will need to prioritize from the national cybersecurity strategy. So JLo, what does this memo mean? What was in it? All that good stuff. So the memo was a great guide that basically enforces what the White House wants agencies to prioritize when it comes to cybersecurity investments. So where all that money is going to go and how it should be used to make decisions for the upcoming year. Um, it definitely comes off of the heels of the National Cybersecurity Strategy, and it highlighted five different key pillars um, that the Office of Management and Budget and the Office of the National Cyber Director wanted the agencies to focus on. So one of the first pillars was defending critical infrastructure. And when it comes to that pillar, that really dives into the White House wanting federal agencies to invest in achieving a zero trust architecture and prioritizing tech modernization. So we know with technology, it's continuing to emerge. There's 
new AI things. There's all these things coming about. And when it comes to cybersecurity and protecting agencies' data, there needs to be investments in that area at full scale. In addition, the second pillar was disrupting and dismantling threat actors. So this is also a really big one because ransomware has been on the rise, as we know, um, not just in one particular agency, but in every agency. I know when it comes to the healthcare agency, which I focus on a lot, there is a lot of issues when it comes to ransomware and cybersecurity issues and it just having so much data and people wanting to protect that data and not get it in the hands of the wrong person. So when it comes to that specific pillar, the White House wants to disrupt those actors, also use funds to prioritize workforce to investigate the crimes that do happen and make sure that we are decreasing the amount of ransomware. Um, and then the third pillar focuses on shaping market forces to drive security and resilience. So this is a great one as well, because it's all about securing software. It's all about identifying areas where cybersecurity will make the most impact. So really in each agency, sitting down and having those pivotal conversations to make sure that you guys know what direction you need to go in, what key areas you need to focus on, and how this is going to be impactful within the next physical year. Um, and then there was two more additional pillars that the White House wants agencies to focus on. The second to last one is investing in a resilient future. And this to me, was all about telling agencies to strengthen their cyber workforce. When it comes to the talent and recruitment and retention, this is huge because a lot of agencies don't have all the resources in when it comes to talent that they need to do these jobs and to fulfill these duties. So they're continuously trying to recruit and retain talent in the cyber workforce. And that's only going to continue to grow as emerging technologies continue to expand, as AI continues to go to the next level. You're going to need more people from all around to get into these federal spaces and join these cyber workforces. And the last and final uh, pillar that was mentioned by the White House is forging international partnerships to pursue shared goals. And we all know this is important because partnerships are key. We need these to thrive. Um, the government definitely relies on partnerships when it comes to industry to get tech into the door. Um, so all those partnerships are key to basically keep this ball rolling. But yeah, those are the key five pillars that we're focused on when it comes to how cybersecurity should be invested in across agencies. And it's a really it was really exciting because the White House is making sure that they're breaking down exactly what agencies need to focus on so they can get the job done and so that we can look back years from now and say, OK, we're going in the right direction and we're going to be able to continue to do more. Thank you, Jayla, for breaking down those five pillars. And I think one thing that I want to highlight specifically is just the role of data in all of this. I know that this has been the year of AI, but by definition, that means that it's also been the year of data and recognizing the importance of both providing accurate and non-biased data for this computer learning, um, but also protecting said data, especially in a healthcare environment. I know, Jayla, you just had an interview on HealthCast very much about this same topic. Um, and I always 
enjoy seeing how our various podcasts kind of interconnect and how these issues cross over. It really tells you that these aren't siloed issues. It, it really is a full, a whole of government concern. So all of this cybersecurity emphasis will need people, right? It's We're not at the point where it's just all robots yet. And that means we need a lot of hiring pushes, including at DOD. So Jordan, what, what is that hiring push going to look like? Um, what has been accomplished this year in terms of outline priorities? And what can we look forward to next year in this realm? Sure. So the main issue at the DOD, and it is a major one, is uh, there's a big shortage of workers in the civilian and military force uh, at DOD. We're talking 30,000 at the moment, or at least since May. Uh, we spoke with Mark Gorak, Principal Director of Resources and Analysis at DOD, and one of the things that he wanted to emphasize off the bat was um, the perception that pay disparity is the reason for the shortage. In his words, it's not. In fact, the main issue is easing the transition between the federal workforce and private industry. Um, when it comes to pay disparity, he said that Gen Z is actually willing to take a 25% pay cut uh, for their jobs if they understand what their mission is and what goals they can achieve while in DOD. Um, when it comes to demands for the millennial workforce, they're really interested in hybrid situations, which the DOD says they've been doing for a while. Um, the only issue with telework nowadays in the DOD is the scale of it compared to decades past. Correct mentioned that the real thing and real issue is easing the transition between the federal workforce and the private workforce as it relates to developing the skills and tools and education needed while going through the hiring process, which can take years in some cases, and keeping those security clearances when moving between the two. So Gorak mentioned uh, things like maintaining those security clearances as um, ways for federal workers to go leave the federal workforce, work for a private sector company, and then come back if there's incentive or an initiative that they're really interested in. Um, because one of the things that interests the federal employees in the federal space compared to the private sector is that stability compared to the private sector where layoffs are happening and there's a lot more instability and people are in their jobs for a lot less time. So Greg mentioned that it would be useful in a lot of cases to have a federal employee work within the Pentagon, but then go and develop those educational foundational cyber workforce skills at private sector companies um, over a few years or a few months or what have you, and then come back to the federal workforce with those skills developed. It would save time on training. It would save time on security clearances and the like, and developing a stronger workforce that is flexible and agile within the private workforce and the federal workforce at the same time. Gorex said that he sees the divide between the federal workforce and private workforce not as a competition, but more of a partnership. And so it's important for him to have employees with that permeability and flexibility to move between both leaving one to come back into the fold of the other and vice versa. While he would love to retain the workforce he has, it's not important for him to have 100% retention, um, considering that most people never really stay in their role for more than five years. It's important for him to have a workforce that is qualified, but also motivated and willing to be in 
the federal workforce. And he broke it down into education and development. And the way he sees education is having the proper tools to be able to specialize in a specific area, whereas development is refining those tools and qualifications to do that specific role. And the overarching goal here is to keep the force up to date on current technology while also creating the room for them to grow beyond the basic foundational skills into the intermediate and advanced skills that are needed in today's workforce. It's really interesting to think about the permeability between the public and private sector. I know that's something that I guess I hadn't thought too much about before uh, taking on this job and hearing stories of people who kind of go back and forth. And it's really interesting to think about the lessons learned from both areas. So not only did the White House put out a national cyber strategy, but it also released the National Cyber Workforce and Education Strategy in August. So, Ross, what's in that strategy in particular, and what does it mean just for federal agencies at large? Well, Jordan talked a little bit about how DOD would be staffing up and how we get these people into these jobs. This was the White House plan to build off of the cyber strategy that came out in March. Over the summer, they really put out this plan that emphasizes education as much as it emphasizes building up the workforce, because as much as it's great to talk about policy and it's great to talk about ideas, somebody's actually got to do the work and staffing up at agencies up and down uh, the federal government. That's pretty hard. So this particular strategy, the workforce strategy, builds off the cyber strategy by trying to leverage these ecosystems to make big changes. Um, the education part foments this lifelong development of cyber skills so that people aren't clicking. I know I've I said this before on, on phishing emails and things like that, so that people are equipped in their own lives to be able to deal with these incursions. And then the final guiding imperative is to enhance the workforce through improvements in DIAI programs. Now, in the in that part, that's part of a larger emphasis of the Biden-Harris administration. The DEIA executive order was one of their first big uh, landmark EOs. And it's fairly easy to see the reason to do that. The bigger the pool you have, the more people you have, the more perspectives you have, the better uh, their experiences are to understand how to deal with these things, how things are going to operate. I, it's always amazing to me, particularly in the IT world, how siloed these things can be where everyone's coming from the same experience, sometimes even coming from the same web browser when someone else sees it on their browser, they go, oh, that didn't, that doesn't work for me. It's like, yeah, we didn't test it on that. And the same notion, you should have these uh, people with all kinds of different experiences in the cyber workforce in the government so that government can serve every person in the US. So for the most part, this workforce and education strategy is a way to try and tap into the innovation and into the the people, the brains of the people uh, throughout this country. There's a lot in there about skills-based approaches, which is something that this administration and the previous administration has begun to really recognize as an important part of the cybersecurity landscape that education, because the speed of this stuff, education is not really the only way to 
to skin this particular cat. But it also brings in a lot of academic, state, local, and private organization partnerships to get people educated, number one, again, and number two, more importantly, bring forth this workforce and train people in ways that will let them deal with their own cybersecurity needs, whether that's in private industry and in their own lives. And, you know, for the government side, more importantly, equip people to work for the federal government and state and local and all those kinds of things, but generally work in the public sector so that organizations can, like in the national security strategy, cut the threats off at the past before they get to the individuals. I just think it's been um, a great year when it comes to cybersecurity overall. We're looking into all these different, we've only highlighted a few things, but there's been even more things that have gone into challenging agencies, making sure they're on the right path and getting cybersecurity to be top of mind. So it's just really exciting to see. And looking back and diving into some of these topics just reminds you of how far people have come, the agencies have come over the previous year. Yeah, definitely. We really only scratched the surface of everything that happened this year. We didn't even really talk about AI, which is crazy to me, but uh, I'm sure that's going to keep coming up. So I'm going to enjoy the break from that. Um, With all that being said, uh, in the last couple of minutes of this episode, do you have any predictions for the year ahead? Any new technologies or initiatives or trends that you think we'll see? Yeah, sure. I just think we're going to see a lot more hiring. Not only in DOD, but across the government, especially uh, as I'm covering VA too, their initiative to get more people hired um, is really taking precedence. So it just seems likely we're going to see a lot more open roles as things like the AI executive order comes through and uh, the agencies try to find new ways to deal with AI in their operations, considering the hybrid workforce world that we live in too. There's just going to be a lot more opportunities for people to join the federal government and the agencies that run. My prediction, it involves two words, artificial intelligence. That really ramped up this year, and it is a huge component of both defending cyber threats and AI-enabled and adjacent cyber threats themselves. So we're going to hear a lot about cybersecurity when it comes to AI in 2024. Yeah, I think that too. And I also, I'm going to say, fingers crossed, I'm hopeful that there's going to be less cyber attacks that we've probably learned, agencies have learned so much that we're going to be able to block these, make sure that they're not happening, keep sensitive data away from these cyber attacks, and just way less, because I know there was an increase of those attacks over the previous years. I know that artificial intelligence is going to be a big topic for next year, but my prediction is that no matter how much artificial intelligence will be able to automate processes and do things that people have been doing in the past, it will not be able to edit podcasts nearly as well as me. (laughs) Anyways, thank you everybody for listening. 2023 has been a busy year, and I have no doubt that 2024 will bring even more cyber news for us to unpack. So to keep up with everything going on in the world of federal IT, make sure you're subscribed to CyberCast, as well as our other podcasts at GovCIO Media and Research, GovCast and HealthCast. 
We're going to be taking a little break from Cybercast at the end of the year, but we'll be back in 2024 with some brand new content. In the meantime, if you like what you heard, make sure that you're subscribed and you leave a five-star rating and review on the podcast platform of your choice. And hey, tell a friend, we always enjoy growing our audience, especially as we head into this new year. I'm Alexander Bolova. I'm Ross Fortuna. I'm Jayla Whitfield. And I'm Jordan McDonald. Thank you for listening. Cybercast, along with GovCast and HealthCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at govcio.com. <laughs>